So tell me about your medical training. So I went from, I didn't get into medicine straight away. I took a gap year between my A-levels and getting into medical school. Um, then I went straight in and did five years of medicine and I did an interface with BSc. And then I went to foundation training um, and um, sorry, I should mention that I did. Yeah, I came to London for my um, medical training Then ended up staying in London for my foundation training, um, F1 and F2 in East London. And after my F2, I had kind of two options of careers I was considering um GP or core medical training and actually I thought actually I want to try core med- I want to do core medical training initially um because I just wanted to improve my medical experience and um get a bit more kind of hands-on experience get a bit more hospital hospital experience um so I did that and when it came to so I finished my core medical training and then when it came to deciding to whether to apply for registrar training or change career pathways, I actually thought, actually, I, c- I couldn't decide on a specialty. I enjoyed so many variety of specialties um, and I just I couldn't pick one to do forever. So, And also I wanted something that was a bit more conducive with family life, better work-life balance. So I decided to go into GP training um, after my, my CT2 year. And yeah, I've been, been doing GP ever since. That sounds amazing. And was there any particular reason as to why you chose London? Not really. So um, I chose London. The main reason was I didn't get my grades initially for getting into medical school. And so I had to retake a couple of exams. And so my choices in applying to universities was quite limited. Um, and London was one of uh, Queen Mary's University of London, so Barts and London Medical School was one of the universities that took retake students at that time. So I applied to that along with three others, um, and it ended up being the only offer that I got. And you know, you can't be picky with medicine. You take if you take, get one offer, you take it. So yeah, I took it, and I and I think I came. That's amazing. And is there any particular reason why? Of course, moving from the north down to London, mm-hmm. was it? Was there any reason you loved London so much that made you stay here for the rest of your career choice? I really didn't love it to begin with. I really didn't want to come down to London. Even before I came to see the university, I, I just, in my head, I was like, it's so far, it's so expensive to live in London. I just kind of had all these like presumptions in my head. Mm-hmm. And then when I came down for my interview, um, I got off at Whitechapel Tube Station, I was with my dad, and I got the biggest culture shock of my life. I, I'm from a seaside town in Yorkshire. I'm, you know, the, probably the only Asian or, you know, person in that area. And I came to, I got out of Whitechapel Tube Station, and I just saw, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's just full of markets, and it's just full yeah. of, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an Asian community, and it was just like nothing I'd ever seen before. And I was just like... <gasps> oh my goodness, you know, I'd never seen anything like it. And, and I did the interview and I thought, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to definitely get another offer. Like, I'll keep this, but but I'm not going to come here. And then obviously, I didn't, of course, I didn't get any other offers and it was becoming a very real, real, you know, possibility of coming here. And I just thought, you know what, that's fine. I'm going to go, I've got bigger plans. I've got, you know, I'm going to be a doctor. It's fine. So I came and you know, had the best six years unexpectedly. Like I had the best six years. I met the best group. I have made the best group of friends, got incredible medical experience. 
and yeah I just I, I didn't want to leave um just it was just amazing um so yeah it just shows that don't judge a book by its cover you, you don't know what you're gonna what you're gonna get <laughs> <laughs> definitely I mean I think I have to say I usually hear the complete opposite experience you know going from quite diversity to more less diverse cities has more of a culture shock so hearing the opposite way around is actually quite interesting um but I think the nice thing with London which of course you've already mentioned is that it's such a diverse city in its own that once you get there there's just so much to do so many people to meet so much diversity in life medicine and everything else that it's only understandable that you didn't want to leave really <laughs> yeah absolutely once I was here I was just like well I'd be I'm, I'm not ready to leave I think as a student and also definitely you know while while you're I'm, I'm saying while you're young like I'm acting like I've come really old but you know, in your like 20s early 30s I think London is an absolutely fantastic place you know when you've got no responsibilities no family just you know you're just you're just thinking about you and your career and just having fun I think it's the best city to be yeah. in and it offers so much this like you said there's so many places to go so many people to see and in terms of being a doctor the pathology is just insane there's just so much variety you get such rare conditions and you know all the weird and wonderful diseases that you, you you're not going to get in in anywhere else really just because of the diversity of, of the of the city mm-hmm. so yeah I just I just wasn't wasn't ready to to leave and and every, every hurdle of kind of being you know applying for F1 in my head I was like yeah I'll apply for London but if I don't get it and I have to go back up north that's fine you know what will be will be I didn't want to come to London and I did and it was the best experience of my life so if you know if this is not meant to be then it's fine I'll, I'll go yeah but, but I was really lucky in that you know I ended up getting my foundation training in London and then again the same thing happened when I applied for core medical training I said you know I'll put London as my first choice but again if it doesn't happen it's fine and then you know luckily um again ended up staying in London which which was fantastic and then yeah, yeah. um so it was um, in East London for those that part of my training and then for my GP training I, I came across to West London so yeah. yeah and I think again like you've said keeping an open mind about where you go in training is so important and with for example the diversity that you've seen in medical pathology I think mm. that's absolutely incredible and it it only strengthens your knowledge in medicine as well can you give me an example of some weird and wonderful conditions that you've seen in London well yeah just um for example I worked as an as an F1 I was in East London at Newham Hospital and the amount of TB cases that would come in it was just Mm -hmm. like the, the 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 norm like it was it was almost like TB was just one of their you know just regular conditions that that it was just normal for them whereas I had friends that were you know practicing in the northern cities and it would be like they'd never even you know they'd read about it but they'd never even <laughs> seen a single patient and for us it was just yeah. such a such a regular thing or you know or I worked in the renal unit at the Royal London and the the, the conditions there like SLE and all these all these really rare autoimmune conditions yeah. that, we would, that I would see it was just yeah incredible incredible really and amazing pathology yeah definitely and I think once you see it in real life I think it just puts everything into practice as well and you just generally remember it more as well so absolutely. I think absolutely once you see yeah, yeah once you see that patient it's like the te- once you see those textbook patient you're never going to forget it exactly. you're never going to forget it 
and that's why they say when you're preparing for your for your exams go onto the ward see those patients because actually there's no substitution for actually seeing that patient in real life you can read the signs and symptoms over and over again but when you see that patient it just clicks yeah definitely and another question I had is you mentioned a culture shock in London have you ever had any challenges with language with your patients or language in any other context at all? So I'm very lucky in that I speak Farsi and um, as a GP, it's become really useful because um, where I'm practicing at the moment, there's quite a, a, a large Iranian population. And once they get hold of the fact that I can speak their language, they, you know, they always want to kind of book with me which is really great actually it's really nice to, to, to have that relationship with your patients they you know they seem to you know trust you put their trust in you and you mm-hmm. kind of you're they almost see you on their their level you're not kind of doctor patient anymore. you're kind of more on their level and they talk to you and they're really honest more open and honest etc um but again yeah that can have its challenges so you know on the one hand they're a lot more comfortable a lot more open a lot more you know feel at ease but on the other hand a lot of them then think that you know they you can kind of favor them in a way um and I guess it's very the healthcare in Iran is very different to the healthcare here you know in Iran you know it's it's paid for uh, for one thing and and so you you pay enough money and you can get your surgery you know tomorrow whereas here it just doesn't work like that and it's really difficult to to explain that to patients to to the Iranian patients sometimes because a lot of them don't understand the differences and they kind of think oh you're an Iranian doctor like we're, we're from the same background like surely you can get me my my surgery that that I need you know surely you can get it for me quickly like what do you mean you can't and and it's like just having had that conversation with them and just being like you know yes we are arranging yes I would love to be able to do that not only for you for all my patients but I can't there's a system and you know there's there's rules and regulations and and there's there's lists and priorities and things etc there's urgencies and and we can't do that and so some yeah that comes across as that can be quite challenging um, yeah. a lot of the time. So, yeah, I think that's kind of the most, sometimes the most challenging yeah. part where where that expect that patient expectation when when they know that you're Iranian, kind of it kind of that expectation changes. Yeah, and following on from that, how do you deal with those challenges, and how do you maintain that strong doctor-patient relationship when, of course, their expectations of you are slightly different to what you can offer so I kind of explained to them that I know the reason that they're thinking that the system is the way they think it is is because of their experiences in Iran and I just have to explain look I know the system in Iran is the way it is but that's not like that here and here this is the way it works here and you know I would love to be able to get you whatever it is that you need as soon as I can but I just can't yeah. it's not in my it's not within my capabilities and, yeah. and it's not it's not up to me I was like yes of course I will write to whoever I need to write to I will express the urgency but it still has to go through certain processes for yeah. you to be able to get what you need and I think you just have to be honest with them you just have to explain to them that yeah I I, I see where you're coming from I understand where your expectations are because of what you're used to but unfortunately things are different here yeah Definitely. And with regards to language within the home setting, with your children, have you taught them Farsi, for example? Yeah, so 
we have three languages at home. So I speak Farsi, my husband speaks Kurdish, and then we've also got English. And it was really important to us early on. I mean, we had this conversation, me and my husband, before our children were born, that we really did want them to know our mother, each of our mother tongues individually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, we did think it would be challenging to teach them because um, I don't speak Kurdish and my husband doesn't speak Farsi, so we speak English to each other. Yeah. But from, from, from as soon as my daughter was born, um, we both made a conscious effort to only speak our native languages to her. So I would only speak Farsi to her. My husband would only ever speak Kurdish to her. Um, and, you know, interestingly, she, she, she did pick up the languages, quite, um, you know, quite quickly. And she would respond to him in Kurdish and respond to me in Farsi. And she would very, very rarely, if ever, you know, mix the language that she knows mm. who to speak to and who to speak to what language. It's really very interesting. Um, but, yeah, so, so yeah, it was very important to us from an early on. And even now with my son, it's the same same sort of applies I only speak to him in Farsi and my husband only speaks to him in Kurdish obviously I've got my daughter now who's you know a lot more confident in English now since she's been starting to go to university even though it was it was kind of slower start with her English but you know once she started nursery and interacting with other children and things like that that it's kind of she's really developed in her English so actually speaking the other languages to her and getting her to engage with the Farsi and the Kurdish sometimes has proved to be a bit more tricky and we kind of just have to bring her back and say you know what no to yeah. speak to me in Farsi and she can get she can get a bit annoyed and frustrated and she's like oh, I don't want to yeah. and then at that stage I'm just like okay that's fine because I don't want her to to get angry and to resent the language and to yeah. not want to speak at all so I'll just say okay that's fine so what you meant to say to me was this and I would speak to her in Farsi and then she'd be like yes I meant that and I'd be like, okay that's yeah. fine so we'll move on but I will still only speak Farsi to her so she can if she wants to answer to me in English I'll try and get her to engage in English but I won't force it because yeah you don't want to like have that bad bad kind of exactly uh, image in their in their minds of it so yeah, yeah we're trying <laughs> so we'll see how it goes <laughs> that sounds like a challenge in its own I think it's absolutely incredible that you and your partner are making that active and conscious effort to make sure that your daughter and your son learn Farsi and Kurdish and I think you know it can be a challenge especially in England where English is the predominant language and when you as a part as partners you both don't speak each other's language it suddenly makes it a lot more difficult to speak this language in isolation to a child who doesn't quite know it fluently yet and to continue to use it so that they do get to that fluent stage so I think you know that's an amazing and most you know a very incredible thing that you're both doing actually I I think to both of us it was really important I mean in both of our homes we've only ever spoken you know he's only ever spoken Kurdish in his home and I've only ever spoken Farsi as I said I, I was born in Iran so I was five when I moved here so Farsi was very much part of my culture I didn't know any other languages English English for me is, is my second language so at home it's always Farsi when I'm with my parents wherever we go it's always Farsi so to me, it, would, it just almost feels wrong not to have that in, for yeah. my children. I, I want them to grow up knowing that that the language and the culture. And, and same with my husband. When, when I go to his house, you know, it's only ever Kurdish in their home and yeah. in their household. So I think for both of us, it's, it's a quite an, a very important part of both of our lives and cultures yeah. and kind of identities. So, yeah, yeah it, would, it just wouldn't seem right not to, not to have that for our children as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And... With regards to learning Farsi as you were growing up, of course you moved from Iran to England. 
did you ever have any challenges picking up the reading and the writing, for example? The Farsi yeah. reading and writing? Yeah, of course. I, I, so in Iran, you go to school at the age of five. Yeah. So I missed that because once I turned five, we, we were in England. And yeah, my my mum really, um, she's the one who taught me to read and write. Um, and initially, you know, I really didn't want to. It was like more work. And, 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 and it's quite difficult. It's a completely yeah. different text. And, you know, it's completely, you know, they write from right to left. Is it right to left? Yeah. Yes. right to left and, and so it's completely different um the alphabet's completely different everything is just completely different so it, it was challenging to learn and, and you know especially for a for a I think I was six or seven when I started learning for a seven year old who, who just you know I've done my school like I don't want yeah. to come home and, and learn more like um so I think there was a lot of rebelling but you know they like we kind of they made me do it and, and I'm so glad that I did because mm-hmm. actually now I mean it's very I'm very it's very basic my reading and writing yeah. it's quite a basic level but you know, I can, I think I would, if I was in Iran, I would be able to get by. And now I do write some of my Instagram posts yeah. in Farsi with the help of my mum, of course. <laughs> um, but, you know, just the fact that I've got that skill, I think, you know, it's, I'm really, really pleased that they pushed me and pushed me to do it. And yeah. I'm very, very grateful to them. I'm, because my, because my level of like reading and writing is quite basic, I'm probably not going to be able to teach that to my, to my children, which mm-hmm. is a shame, but you know, I'll see if my mum wants to take that on maybe in a few years. <laughs> Definitely. You know, I think languages is such an amazing skill and, you know, it just connects people all over the globe and it also connects people and communities within the local country as well. Yeah. And I think you've nicely explained how you do that in your daily practice. And I think with your children growing up, they'll also find that, you know, they'll be able to connect with the Iranian and the Kurdish community as well. And I think that that's just something very special, actually, and a benefit of being able to speak more than one language. Another question I had was, of course, being a mother and being a doctor, what are the challenges that you face during your career? I mean... lots really just in terms of even kind of settling down getting married having children I feel like as medics it just happens a lot later because our training is so prolonged so I mean I think I got married when I was in my 30s yeah um a lot of my friends got married kind of 20s early 20s but in my 30s it was the only time that I'd actually fully felt like my career was kind of a stable point I think it just takes so long to get to that stage and whether you, if you even decide what you want to do, you know, in special speciality wise. And this was one of the reasons why we picked, why both me and my husband are GPs and we decided on GP because yeah. like it, it, it'll at least give us that opportunity to, of course, we love the specialty that's kind of paramount, but, but it also helps us build that family life and have that better work-life balance. Cause I say, yeah, as medics, I feel like we just do that a lot later. Yeah, um, and yeah I mean with and with being and being a GP and I'm very lucky that my work is so flexible with my childcare needs that you know they're allowing they're very you know very good with that they they I'm only working actually um one and a half days a week at the moment just because my youngest isn't in nursery at the moment so me and my husband shared childcare duties but you know I found a practice that is so accommodating and you know so supportive um and I think again another plus point of GP you just wouldn't get that in hospital just yeah. purely because you, you can't it's there's a rotor and, and and there's a there's a certain demand and you just don't get that flexibility yeah. 
so I think I just I feel very lucky in, this, in that sense that um you know we, we're able to share the childcare between my husband and myself and be there as much as we want to be for our children but also have you know have have our careers as well um yeah so yeah I think I think compared to other specialities I'm pro- my mine is probably a lot more family friendly yeah. I would say <laughs> definitely and if it wasn't for the family commitments and medicine was a bit more flexible let's say would there have been another specialty that you would have considered I know that's quite a difficult question (laughs) I think GP just gives me so much variety yeah that no I mean when I was doing full medical training and I was in a in a rotation for six months by the end of that six months I was getting bored I was getting bored of seeing just the same kind of stuff yeah you know the same system the same yeah not the same pathologist because pathology is always interesting but it was kind of it was getting repetitive and I just and every time I changed it was was like a breath of fresh air like okay something different now and I just and I really feel that with GP every single let alone every day every day every single patient is different and different needs you can you can do a clinic one clinic where you see a newborn baby your elderly patients you see your you know your middle-aged patients you see mental health you see obstetrics you see skin conditions yeah. it's just so varied it just keeps it so interesting and that's the beauty of yeah. it so I may have picked a, another specialty if you know I didn't I didn't I wasn't in that stage of my life where I wanted to settle down but I, I think I would have got bored and I think eventually I would have ended up as a GP yeah. regardless <laughs> yeah <laughs> to be honest no, yeah. I completely agree I think you know in medical school and post-medicine you get exposed to so many specialties in such a short space of time. So it actually makes it quite difficult to choose one specialty unless you've had a good experience within that specialty. And sometimes there's specialties which you haven't really been exposed to that much and so you can't make that much of a decision on it. However, like you've said, because medicine's so varied, it's quite nice to have that variation, but also have that stable work-life balance as well. Yeah. And I think the only other specialty that I really enjoyed was A&E, <laughs> but the rotor yeah. absolutely destroyed me. Yeah. Um, and again, it was because it was just so varied. Yeah. You would get, get, like, you just don't know what would walk through the door. Yeah. So for me, GP is kind of like A&E, but with a friendlier, with no rotor, with a friend, you know, with a more yeah. kind of, where life balance with do you know yes, what I mean it's kind of exactly yeah you get you get that that variety and, and for me yeah, that's the Definitely. most important thing I think another question I had on general practice is how do you find the prospect of progression in general practice um <clears throat> the prospect of progression of course um, you've got I mean, salary it... GPs and you've got partner GPs yeah. and yeah. I guess it varies dependent on which general practice you're working in. So Mm -hmm. how do you feel about the progression of a GP and what opportunities are there available to you? You know what, there there is so much opportunity. It just really depends what you want. That's the beauty of GP. You know, if you want to be a locum GP for the rest of your career, you can. If you find a practice that you absolutely love and you want to be a salaried, 
you can, if you then decide that you actually want to be a partner in a GP practice, you know, you can, the opportunities are there. Mm -hmm. And it really is just, it just depends on what you want and and what you want to gain from your career and, you know, where you are at at that stage of your life um, in terms of, of, of what you want to progress into. So, the progression yeah there's I mean there's no it's, it's there's so much progression yeah. there's so much opportunity there's there's so many doors um uh, out there so yeah it's really it's really yeah. good and with regards to teaching and specialist clinics how does that work in yeah. general practice so if your GP is a teaching practice um it would have medical students attached it may have FY2 doctors attached some practices are, are are training practices in the sense that they have GP trainees attached. Um, so there's always opportunities for teaching. You just you know you can either you know volunteer if you're not kind of a, an approved trainer, or you can you can um, go on the required courses to become approved trainers. So you there are certain courses that you have to do to become kind of FYT trainers, and if you want to become GP GP registrar trainers. Um, but again, I think you have to work a certain number of years. Yeah. Um, before you can kind of apply for those courses but, but they're available so yeah if you're interested in that that's that's definitely another kind of path to yeah. to, to take yeah. and same with specialist clinics so you can take you can take diplomas um in in certain areas skin or kind of um women's health or kind of doing coil clinics and things like that. you undertake the the required diploma and then you kind of you have that service to offer to offer the, the practice yeah so it does seem like there's quite a lot of variation in GP aside from you know what we all see superficially knowing that there is so yeah. much variation it is just, <laughs> I mean I think GP has had a really bad reputation of oh it's just coughs and colds you know some days I wish it was just coughs and colds <laughs> sometimes some days I'm just like I wish I just had like a few coughs and colds just to give me a bit of breathing mm. space because actually I don't get many coughs and colds anymore yeah. so I don't know where that's yeah. from <laughs> I shouldn't say coughs I still do get coughs with COVID yeah. and everything but yeah I don't you know it's just yeah some days you kind of want that because you think that I just need a bit I just need a couple of patients that are a bit straightforward yeah. that I can kind of just I know what I'm doing properly like you know with a, with a virus <laughs> or but you get you rarely get that you really I think there's just been so much more emphasis yeah. on like when to see your GP and you know your pharmacist is here to treat x y and z yeah. and only go to your GP only go to A&E for certain like there's a lot more patient education so yeah. I think actually your coughs and colds we don't really get them no anymore. unless they're more serious you know they're really unwell yeah. you know then then it's not just a just a cold yeah, so definitely yeah. and final question I had is looking towards the future where do you see yourself in the career of general practice and with regards to family also? Well, I think we've completed our family. Yeah. I think with our two kids, we're, we're, we're yeah. done. So actually, like, I've taken a lot of time out during, you know, during my career so far to, to have my yeah. kids. Um, and even now, as I say, I'm only, re- I'm only really working a day and a half a week so I'm actually really looking forward to becoming you know working more as a GP doing my kind of six sessions which would equate about three days a week and maybe doing something else for that extra day um I think you know in the long run I don't I don't know really if I see myself as a partner or not I don't know I'm a salaried at the moment um and you know I, I love my practice 
um I love where I'm working I don't know I don't know what I'm I'm, I'm very happy right now um, I'm just I would like to increase my sessions yeah. eventually and I'm very happy and we'll see where the future goes I don't definitely know. and I think you know it's very nice to take things one step at a time sometimes it's better to do that rather than plan too far ahead because things change yeah. and especially in medicine you know things change so rapidly covid came out of nowhere exactly. for example you know exactly. you can't really plan for the future and you know it is best to take things one step at a time i think again with regards to family you know you've mentioned you've taken a few years here and there which is completely normal and i think with medicine again in comparison to a lot of other degrees people generally start families quite earlier because like you've mentioned they're able to settle and stabilize their career quite earlier however with medicine yeah. because it's so hectic and so full-on throughout the years it takes doctors longer to do that so you have to take the years out here and there to ensure that you can also do the things that you want to do as well exactly exactly definitely well, thank you very much for the talk. I really, really enjoyed your insights in medicine. Oh, I'm really glad. Thank you so much for asking. Thank you. Me.